Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today it is me and I'm talking about sexual abuse and your relationship with food. Now I've decided to do a podcast episode on this after a recent Instagram post that I did had lots of engagement and people really asking me to do an episode on this. So I am aware this is quite a sensitive topic. So really do take care of you. You know, this is not therapy. This is a supportive podcast. So if you don't feel ready to listen to this yet, or if you feel it might be triggering or unhelpful, please don't listen to this one and come back to it maybe at a later date when you're in a different place. Also want to say that I do not claim to be an expert in working with sexual abuse and eating disorders. I have worked with several people over the years, but this is not an area of work that I work in sort of on a weekly basis. However, I'm hoping that the information I share with you will give you some insight, understanding and awareness into the impact of sexual abuse and how it can affect your relationship with food. But please don't take this as gospel. And, you know, I guess there's many more aspects that I could be covering here, but hopefully it will give you an introduction and some reflection and insight. Okay, let's get to the episode. For many people, if you've experienced some form of sexual abuse in childhood, it is incredibly common that you might struggle with abuse of food as you're growing up and into adulthood. Now, sexual abuse is not a cause or the cause of eating disorders. The majority of people that develop eating disorders will thankfully not have experienced sexual abuse. Eating disorders are complex illnesses, and there is an interplay of genetics, early life, trauma, different stresses such as bullying or bereavement, things that happen to you growing up, and also, of course, the impact of diet culture with all the pressures to conform. And it's challenging as well to isolate sexual abuse as a predictor of eating disorders because many women in the Western world will have a difficult relationship with their body anyway due to societal pressures. So it's really hard to untangle those sort of specific triggers and how they impact someone's relationship with food. Additionally, also, if you've experienced sexual abuse, You might have also experienced other forms of abuse or neglect or other trauma or poverty. So, of course, as well, these factors will all amplify the impact of the abuse. And it is quite hard to separate out all the different facets of this. So I want to make it clear that I'm not an expert in treating people and supporting people that experience sexual abuse. I have worked with several clients over the years as I work as a therapist, but it's not something that I see really regularly in the therapy room. And I'm very aware that I might have worked with some people where it's just never been on the agenda because of a lot of my work as well as within an NHS setting. And much of the treatment there is focused around symptom-based treatments such as cognitive behavior therapy. And although 
these symptom-based therapies do have great value, there's often not the space or encouragement maybe for someone to open up and explore some of these deeper issues because of something like cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, it's quite a directive therapy with an agenda. So there's less space for people to kind of just bring in, you know, other stuff they might want to talk about, which could actually be really, really relevant. So from my experience, there are a number of themes seen in people with their relationship with food if they have experienced sexual abuse. So firstly, the physical aspect, the physical impact of abuse. So sexual abuse by its nature is a physical act. The abuse is experienced through the body and the resultant trauma becomes embodied. So that trauma becomes held in the body but often quite unconsciously. So it's very common for people who have been sexually abused to develop patterns of eating which are an attempt to use food as a coping strategy. So if you've experienced sexual abuse, it can bring a devastating lack of control and feeling of helplessness. And with trying to get a sense of control, someone may over or under eat to repress, numb or dissociate from really uncomfortable feelings. So it might be in a similar way to how someone might use drugs, alcohol, gambling, overwork, you know, other ways of sort of distracting from difficult feelings. And if you've experienced sexual abuse, you might also feel really self-blaming and self-punishing. But I just really want to stress it is not your fault. It's such a common thing that people somehow feel that they are to blame in some way. So you may eat or starve yourself to the point of physical pain. And it's almost like an expression of that internal pain that you're feeling. But again, it's all quite unconscious. You might not really have the words to, you know, to say these things out loud. It's all kind of beneath the layers. And you might also experience other forms of self-harm too. So things like cutting or headbanging, punching walls, burning, those kind of things. So secondly, someone who's experienced sexual abuse may have a very distorted body image. Now, if you have been abused, you will tend to take on responsibility for the abuse. Again, this being quite an unconscious process. So I want to just stress again, Sexual abuse is not your fault. However much you might be taking on that self-blame, it is not your fault. But understandably, if you've experienced abuse, you're likely to have very low self-esteem. Now, what often happens is this is put onto the body and someone will describe feeling very unattractive or ugly. Now, these feelings, these expressions, these words used, they're often really intense with people expressing disgust and revulsion towards their body. And the degree of self-loathing that someone might hold, you know, as a therapist or someone close to the person, you know, if you're hearing it, it might not seem logical and quite almost unfathomable to comprehend because it doesn't really, it doesn't really kind of match the logical, rational perspective. But the person experiencing the disgust and revulsion towards their body will be, you know, these two things are really real and overwhelming. 
they really are experiencing them day to day. And it's really, really difficult to deal with these feelings. Interestingly as well, someone may experience themselves as being in a larger body than they actually are. And overall, there can just generally be a strong dissatisfaction with external appearance. And on the deeper levels, this illustrates the hopeless struggle someone might be experiencing for internal self-acceptance. So the grueling cycles of trying to change your body for extreme restriction, and then maybe failing, failing, I'm saying in inverted commas, because of you know, if you're restricting, you're going to end up probably binging. That's not really failing, it's an inevitable outcome. But it leads to further self-loathing, reduced self-esteem. And then if you're stuck in that awful cycle, it almost provides evidence for your belief about not being good enough or being a horrible person. And of course, you know, it's almost impossible to win in these destructive cycles because of even if you think, right, I'll be happy when I get to that weight or when I change my body in a certain way, the goalposts always move and you never, ever feel enough. So it might feel really impossible to win at any steps towards self-acceptance. And there's also a denial of good things and allowing yourself to have pleasure and enjoyment through food because of this deep sense of worthlessness. A strong feeling of being undeserving and unworthy of good things. So, thirdly, feeling powerless. Now, if you've been sexually abused, you might feel helpless and powerless because experiencing abuse is such a violation and it can leave you feeling like a frightened child and you might feel really scared you know quite and that you have to be very dependent on others and really scared of adult life and you may fear taking responsibility and growing up and you may feel that you can't make decisions and you can't be autonomous and the destructive relationship with food can reinforce these feelings of powerlessness as again it's hard to win at dieting and it's hard to ever properly meet those external standards around body image that you might inflict upon yourself. So again, you feel increasingly powerless by repeating cycles with food and you feel like you just have never done enough. So it's almost like the relationship with food mirrors your relationship with yourself. Again, quite on a quite unconscious level. Fourthly, feelings of shame and guilt. Now, if a family member has been the perpetrator of the abuse, normal and healthy boundaries have been horrifically violated. And I mean, even if it's a non-family member, of course, again, normal and healthy boundaries have been horrifically violated. So as a child growing into an adult, you're going to understandably have issues with boundaries and control. And again, the relationship with food mirrors the relationship with yourself. So it might be through intense over-control or through overeating. And there's often as well a lot of secrecy and shame around eating and body image. And then again, the shame and guilt is piled on. So it's almost like your relationship with food is, you know, it's something that kind of using as a coping strategy to feel more in control, to feel safe, to maybe self-soothe, to have this kind of life raft to cling to. 
but actually although it may fleetingly kind of work it doesn't and it kind of reinforces all these cycles of feeling powerless feeling guilty feeling ashamed and kind of keeps you more and more trapped so it can be very challenging as well for someone who has been sexually abused to develop a comfortable relationship with their own sexuality you might have a strong fear of intimacy and also revulsion towards bodily functions can happen and you might feel very disembodied and out of touch with bodily sensations and food can be used to control or change body shape also as a means of avoiding sex and it, this could be by either keeping your body as childlike as possible so you feel that you're not growing up so you're not going to kind of attract be attractive as a sexual being or you might become extremely overweight as a barrier and almost armor to the world so being extremely overweight or thin can reinforce these feelings of being ugly and unattractive but also offering you protection so feeling in a way that you won't have to experience someone violating those boundaries again and again it's all quite unconscious so how about healing from sexual abuse So in healing, it can be helpful to explore your relationship with food as a metaphor to your relationship with yourself and with others. So you might hold a lot of shame around food issues, feeling a sense of shame attached to the lack of control around food and also confusion about why you're doing what you're doing because of a disordered relationship with food if we didn't step out to have this and it's almost become like an unconscious and habitual thing so you might be underweight or overweight or you might be normal weight and your sort of disordered eating is more hidden but you might not want to be kind of living with this these disordered eating behaviors and feel quite confused as to why you're using them but it might feel really really tricky to change them So if you've experienced sexual abuse as well you've been traumatized in the context of a relationship and therefore a positive thing is healing can take place as well within a relationship and that could be a therapy relationship it could be another healthy relationship somewhere out in the world now if you have experienced abuse your relationship with food may have become the focus and quite intense and i guess like with food it can feel like you're in control it's just you and food in a way no one else can kind of come into that so it's a feel safe so in terms of trusting somebody like another human being it can feel really really hard really really hard as well to be vulnerable and if you go into therapy you may look to your therapist for the fix or healing sort of perhaps feeling quite passive in that process again not there's not being your fault but because of experiencing abuse often leaves you feeling quite helpless and disempowered so what is vital in recovery is it's important for you to feel empowered and that you are making choices about your healing So you're not being coerced you're not being persuaded into making changes when you're not feeling ready you're not making changes perhaps just to please your therapist so building self trust and self efficacy is vital in the process 
And it's crucially important for you to fully understand the way that controlling food, whether through overeating or undereating, how it served you. So really exploring disordered eating as a coping strategy with a lot of self-compassion. Now, whether it's undereating, overeating, it can be a way to numb the catastrophic pain of abuse and also trying to block this trauma. And maybe the eating disorder has been a life raft and a thing to cling to through a very, very challenging time. So there will be many understandable fears about letting this go. And you may be terrified of engaging with the emotions underneath. And in therapy, as a consequence, disordered eating symptoms might worsen first as a desperate attempt not to engage with difficult emotions. I think as well, it's just so understandable because of it can be really, really painful to engage with some of those emotions. And I think, you know, if you're a therapist working with someone, it's a really delicate balance of really giving a client so much holding and support so they can feel safe to be vulnerable, but also gently challenging them as well to get in touch with some of those painful feelings and like holding a safe space for them to do that. So if you've experienced sexual abuse, trauma will often be held in the body. Body work can be helpful to enable you to get in touch with your body sensations and to almost embody all parts of yourself because you can often feel very sort of disembodied, you know, completely dissociated and un out of touch with your hunger, your feelings, your bodily sensations. Becoming free from the shackles of disordered eating with food is liberating but also incredibly scary as it means taking responsibility and this can feel daunting. So it's incredibly important for you to be self-compassionate and really understanding disordered eating as a survival mechanism to deal with trauma, but also acknowledging that you can begin to learn healthier and kinder ways of coping. So once you are more in touch with your body, more proactive steps to working on body image can be used. So often negative body image is such a projection of internal self-image. And it's all become very entangled because of it feels so much that it is all about the body. And it is, but also it's so much really about how you feel about yourself deep down. So, and it's hard to untangle that sometimes, you know, it's so hard to see the wood for the trees. But things like, in terms of trying to improve your body image, things like thought challenging, imagery, active movement, you know, the joy of movement, not compulsive exercise, art, massage, maybe complementary therapies, all these things can help. And starting to just really care for your body and treat it with love and respect. So on a final note, recovery from sexual abuse trauma is a long and slow process. There will be many ups and downs along the way. And as a therapist, it's supporting you to reach a point where you understand how food has been used to cope and block trauma and to face the pain with support and not engage in the old ways of coping. So moving more towards a place of self-acceptance. So, of course, as well with food, we have to regulate our food intake. We have to face food day by day. 
you know, it's not like coping with alcohol or drugs where you can stop and live without those, you know, dealing with food sometimes is more challenging. So as well, it's worth acknowledging that if you go through periods of stress, you might fall back into old ways of coping at different times. But by acknowledging and experiencing the trauma, you will begin to move more and more from feeling in that kind of victim stance where you feel powerless, feeling freer, more empowered, and towards learning new and healthier ways of coping. So I hope you found this episode to be helpful and maybe it has brought up some insights and different areas to reflect on. Of course, you know, if it has been really triggering for you, do reach out and get support. Do make sure that you're getting some help either by speaking to a close and trusted loved one or by reaching out and having therapy and make sure that you're not trying to cope alone if this has been difficult to listen to. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do follow, rate and review as it helps the podcast reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.